This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. We're so happy to have you here enjoying this fine Saturday together. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. Plenty going on on these summer weekends. It's easy to stay busy. One really cool thing that's going on here coming up soon is the Seattle Art Fair. And Justin, you know a little bit about this. Yeah, we at Heritage Distilling are partners with the Seattle Art Fair. And this is starting August 2nd and runs through August 5th. It's four days. It actually has turned into one of the premier international art events in the world. Uh, They have literally hundreds of artists from around the world and from art galleries convene in Seattle and uh, take over the entire CenturyLink event center next to the football stadium. And you can see all the art on display and people stroll through and buy the art. It is all on sale. And the show sells out every year. They don't give you an exact number of how many dollars are exchanged, but it is tens of millions of dollars. That's because a lot of buyers who go through there are buying privately for private collections, and they don't want you know the dollar transactions being uh, discussed. But the gentleman who brought it to Seattle is Paul Allen, and he's a great collector of art, invests in it, supports the arts communities. And uh, this is now several years in, and the art show, the, the Seattle Art Fair is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And it's open to the public. People can buy tickets, and then they go down to the CenturyLink Event Center and spend any one of those four days walking around, checking out art from all over the world, and, and uh, just getting exposed to some really amazing things. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. It's only been around since 2015, but I know for me it feels a lot longer than that because the scope and span of the the size of this event and how well it is produced and put on. So it feels like it's been around for like a decade uh, because, as you mentioned, it's just pretty pretty impressive. But anybody who's been to the Central Link Event Center for pre-football game activities or for, for the boat show or whatever goes on there, it's, it's a huge space. What they do to transform it for this Seattle Art Fair, you will not realize that you've been in there because the space looks so different and amazing. So go online, uh, seattleartfair.com, get tickets, and I encourage you to bring your friends and family and just enjoy it. And the the great part is, uh, for as warm as it's been here recently, the entire building is air-conditioned. So, And when you're there, uh, there are a couple bar locations in there. You can get wine, beer, and they feature heritage uh, cocktails. And uh, go and grab a drink. Oh, sounds like a, it sounds like a good way to spend a weekend. I love it. In the meantime, what's going on in the uh, industry headlines this week? Well, some you know, it seems every month we have another story about some kind of uh, accident happening at a distillery or yeah. a winery. Unfortunately, uh, last the last major one was the uh, the huge warehouse in Kentucky full of all the bourbon that collapsed and eighteen thousand barrels were yeah. lost. This one. Uh, there's a fire that happened at a Jamaican rum distillery, and it destroyed 65,000 liters of rum. Uh, it happened just last week, and uh, parts of the fermentation room and the fresh rum stocks were destroyed. The distillery itself, the stills, the other equipment 
were not affected. Uh, none of the staff uh, were injured in the fire, thank goodness. Uh, this distillery uh, is um, in the middle of Jamaica. And, uh, you know, problem is in those parts of the world, when tragedy happens like this, it's hard for them to get re replacement equipment and other stuff because the economy is a little slower and it is expensive to ship. So we wish them well in getting back online. Absolutely. Glad that there's no no humans that were injured in this, too. That's always good news. What else is, go what else is going on in the headlines? Uh, next, we all... Watched uh, with eager anticipation the last month or so about the soccer team that was trapped in those caves. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, uh, right? And thankfully they all made it out safely. Uh, now, the Telegraph out of the UK is talking about a group of British men wanted to support the efforts to save the boys, specifically the Thai Navy SEALs who were there to save them. And when those folks arrived home, they found a car full of beer waiting for them Aww. to uh, help them celebrate. So well people earned. gathering around yeah. and taking care of the people who help the kids. I mean, that was pretty incredible to think of, of the original prognosis and what they said at the beginning, which was, we don't know if we're going to be able to they save these people. Then it was yeah. like, okay, maybe it'll take a month to do this. And the fact that they got them out so quickly. And yeah, it was just these really impressive people. Yeah. Not only did you have like Navy SEALs, you had doctors who could also cave die. I mean, it was just, it was incredible to see that that turned out to be a, to a, a happy ending. So glad they can come home to some presents. <laughs> yeah. A car full of beer. <laughs> Perfect. What could be worse. Yeah. And uh, finally in the headlines, you know, we've talked on the show on multiple occasions about people buying uh, at auction spirits and wine, the bottles going for tens of thousands, in some cases hundreds of thousands or even uh, in excess of a million dollars, these very rare vintages of, of uh, wine or, or rare uh, whiskeys, a lot of them scotch in nature. Well, here we found a man who made a $27,000 profit on an antique bottle of wine that he thought was fake. <laughs> well, that's a twist. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the man bought the wine. He thought it was fake. Uh, he, it looked like a fake 17th century wine bottle. He wanted to buy it to stop others from being conned into buying it. And uh, later on, it was proved to be legit. Now, he bought it for 40 bucks. Later on, uh, after an auction uh, expert looked at it, and signed off on the authentication, it sold for $27,000. Oh, wow. my gosh. And to think he put it on Facebook, I, it sounds like, as a warning to people, like, don't don't buy these fakes. Mm -hmm. And someone saw it and actually asked for a closer look and found out it was authentic. That's, so it was just by chance. That's a really healthy, healthy return on your investment there. It is. The wine bottle was dated back to 1682. Oh, wow. my word. Yeah. And to think yeah. also this all started with really good intentions. He bought it so that he would help other people avoid buying a fake. So congratulations to him. He deserves that, I think. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So uh, let's open it up and pass it around. <laughs> Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we chat with Matt Conley, sales manager over at Georgetown Brewing Company, about the incredible story behind one of the Pacific Northwest most iconic beers. That would be Manny's Pale Ale. Plus, how Georgetown Brewing is teaming up with Pearl Jam speaking of Northwest icons, uh, to do something great for the local community. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now we're joined by Matt Conley, sales manager of Georgetown Brewing. 
Uh, Matt, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for taking uh, time out to chat with us. I know you've got kind of a busy schedule going on right now. Things are Beverage industry stays busy in the summertime, for sure. That's for sure, especially in the Pacific Northwest, I think. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of Georgetown Brewing? It's a pretty uh, cool story. Yes. Yeah, we uh, are owned. The company is owned by Manny Chow and Roger Bylas. Uh, they've been friends since uh, basically right after college. Manny and I both went to UW, so we've all known each other a long time. Roger uh, went to University of Puget Sound but went and did grad school at UW. So basically... Uh, the two of them have been friends since about 95. Uh, I think I met both of them shortly thereafter as well. And uh, Roger was working in the healthcare industry uh, at the time, and Manny had quit his job with, he was at Mac and Jack's, actually the first employee that Mac and Jack hired. And at the time, those guys were roommates. And so Roger basically said, hey, I don't really like my job, and you don't really have a job, so let's do something together. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Roger liked his job, but just kind of wanted to work for himself. And many always had visions, not necessarily in the beer industry. And so they kind of brainstormed, and it was really Roger that kept coming back to the idea of, you know, hey, let's do a brewery. You've known people. You've had some success there. And maybe we could, you know, get into that market. And Manny was a little bit reluctant, but I think in the end, happy. And and I think we're all happy that uh, Roger was able to talk him into it. Absolutely. So obviously Manny has his background in in the industry, but was it more of a passion for uh, both you and Roger or did you have a lot of background? It's funny. uh, I didn't have any background other than knowing that I like drinking beer and (laughs) I started a brewery. (laughs) That works. that That really... That really was it for me, but it was enough. Yeah. Um, and Roger is funny is that he has a, uh, someone told him something once that he's repeated and, and uh, it has stuck with me because he said it, I've heard him say it a few times. Somebody gave him advice once that he heeded and it was find what you love doing the most. Don't make it your career, but take what you love second most and make that your career. Oh, I like and that. And basically Roger's like, well, then I'm not going to go do anything with fishing because that's what I love the most, <laughs> but I love beer. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So, so yeah, so that was uh, turned out to be good advice and, and well heeded by Roger. And um, and then basically, yeah, for me, once they started, I said, hey, you guys uh, make good beer. I'd already tried some of the some of the homebrew that they had done before really getting the commercial side ready to go, as many of our friends had tried, and they brought it to friends' weddings and things like that. And then ultimately, when they were when they rented their space, I said, hey, if you guys ever need help selling beer, you know, you grow enough to need help selling beer, I would be interested. And uh, they said, okay, great. But at the time, I worked uh, in corporate America, not in the beverage industry at all, um, not in the hospitality industry at all, and uh, just thought good friends with a good product, and that would be a, a, an adventure I'd be willing to take if they'd take me. And so I started uh, two years in. They sold their first keg in February of twenty. Uh, excuse me, of 2003, and then I started in April of 2005. Wow. So you've seen the industry change dramatically locally and regionally. What's what's the most interesting thing you've seen change? I think for us it's been the sheer volume of variety, just, just the amount of different beers, the sheer volume of new beers that come through the market. And, and it's unbelievable. I mean, if We've talked about it a lot at the brewery, and if Manny and Roger started today their company with the same business model they had 15 years ago, I don't think we would see nearly the success that we've seen. Um, The idea of a flagship brand 
one beer, literally one beer is what they started with. It was Manny's Pale Ale in one size keg format, half barrels. And when bars would say, oh, well, what else do you got? Roger would say, nothing else. That's what we make. <laughs> and that that wouldn't, I mean, you'd get some rotating handles today out of that. But um, the ability to see that flagship beer stay up on tap without rotating uh, at a lot of bars in the area, um, you know, we're holding those now, thankfully, because we're so well established. But, you know, 15 years ago, or excuse me, fast forward that to now, if we were starting, a lot of those Manny's kegs would have just been rotating tap handles. So I think that's really the biggest change for us is just the, the sheer amount of rotation and new product that have just flooded the market. Yeah, has that really, I mean, especially locally, the rise of craft beer has been such a, such a thing in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely, yeah. I, we, you know, we're in our little bubble, of course, in the Northwest, and <laughs> we try to pay attention to the rest of the country. But we really feel like we're pioneers up here, you know, and there are other cities um, there are other cities that do it very well or regions. Obviously, Portland's really good and San Diego's really good and Denver's really good. Um, and then everything else starts to get a little bit outside our neck of the woods, but specifically the Northwest. I mean, there's, the hops are grown right in our backyard. Uh, we've just got a slew of, of breweries. Obviously, the wine industry in this neck of the woods has been really good. And now you're seeing distilleries, you know, come up and do the same thing. So, yeah, specifically the Northwest has just been a hotbed for the beverage industry, you know. And you could take it all the way to non-alcohol with, uh, with coffee if you wanted to. Okay, so we, we really want to talk a little bit about another Pacific Northwest uh, icon. The Pearl Jam has the upcoming home shows, and you guys are partnering up with Pearl Jam for a really great cause. Yes, uh, we were very honored, quite flattered to <laughs> receive a call from, from them. Um, I don't think it was the band members that called us. I think it was probably their marketing <laughs> department. <laughs> but they called uh, months and months ago now. I don't know what month it was, but it might have been October or November. So this was secret for a long time. Wow. Uh, and they said, um, you know, we're brewing these or we're doing these home shows at Safeco Field. And everyone had heard about those. And they wanted some community partners involved and they asked us if we would be their brewing partner and we were of course very happy to say yes so uh, we concocted this pale ale and very simply called it the home shows pale ale and we are helping them raise money so we're donating two dollars for every six pack and our distributor columbia is donating all their proceeds from the draft sale to the pearl jam vitology foundation and through that vitology foundation pearl jam is helping uh, hoping to raise $10 million to help fight homelessness in the Seattle region. Um, so a big deal, really big deal, a cause that is obviously meaningful to all of us and something that Pearl Jam is really taking a, a figurehead in, in doing something about, and we're just happy to jump on board and say yes to their ask. That's pretty incredible. For people who, it's incredible. For people who want to, who might be beer nerds and are really interested in this, what can you tell us specifically about the uh, Seattle Pale Ale? It is, it's a pale ale. It's hop forward. Uh, definitely more of the kind of fruitier notes. It's a, it, um, I won't go as far as saying citrus style, but it, it moves away from the bitterness. Um, and that's something that a lot of beers have been doing lately. So there's nothing uh, novel as far as that style goes. But it's 5.2% ABV. So just a nice, easy to drink, really refreshing, uh, crisp pale ale. Um, and it tastes good. And the marketing's really good. Uh, we have, you know, Pearl Jam to thank for that because they just mm -hmm. have to put their home show's design on it. It's a really, it's good. It's a really refreshing beer. And we basically did a batch on draft and then a batch in can. And kind of once the concerts pass, you'll see the last of it sort of filter through the market. So um, it's available at the brewery right now. 
in growlers and in cans, and then uh, look for your bars and restaurants to pick up a keg or two. And then also grocery stores uh, hopefully can get their hands on some six-packs, but it's been selling really well. I saw a social media post of a pallet at the Costco on 4th Avenue, and uh, the before and after photos are quite stark because the pallet was beautiful, and the after photo of the pallet was empty. It moved very quickly. And, uh, the packaging <laughs> oh, no. is, is great. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, that's good to hear. I had not seen that or heard that, but I do know uh, there are really only a couple of Costco's that, that have our beer. We, we've you know not really been able to keep up with production. So um, as you can imagine, Costco would move some volume, and wow. uh, that store right there is literally probably three blocks from the brewery. So they were very happy to be able to take some uh, some of those cans, for, and we were happy to get, get them. So. Uh, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Matt. We uh, Just reminding people, where can they come on down if they want to check out the tasting room, if they want to grab a growler? Yes. Yeah, we're in Georgetown, Seattle's oldest neighborhood, just north of Boeing Field Airport. Uh, a quick search online for Georgetown Brewing or Manny's Pale Ale will take you to our website. And then we have a tasting room. We don't do any food and we don't serve pints yet. We'd like to maybe change that one day. But right now we're basically 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday and 10 to 4 on Saturdays free samples, and then beer to go. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I look forward to uh, to getting some, some good beverages out there for the summer. Up next, we continue talking to local businesses that have chosen to team up with Pearl Jam to raise money for their Vitalogy Foundation through the home shows. We have Trey Bush from Sleight of Hand Cellars and also the Underground Wine Project coming up next on Cast Club Radio. stepped out but she'll be back with us next segment we are joined by trey bush of sleight of hand cellars and winery he is the winemaker and owner and he's also a partner in the underground wine project so we're definitely going to be talking to him later about a special project that they're doing with pearl jam just like heritage is doing but trey to get started here sleight of hand cellars looks awesome i was looking at your website and it says that you like to combine your love of great wines and music can you tell us a little bit more about how you started that and the vision behind it yeah, you bet. So I started Sleight of Hand in 2007 with my uh, friend and business partner, Jerry Solomon. I was previously making a wine for another winery here in Walla Walla, and uh, it was just time to go out and do my own thing. But when we started the brand, we had a vision that was a little different than I think a more traditional winery would be. We love music, um, and we thought we'd incorporate our love of music into what we're doing with our winery, and so, and I'm a, a huge Pearl Jam fan. I've been following the band since uh, I saw them back in 92 in Athens, Georgia, and so the winery is actually named after a uh, Pearl Jam song, uh, which oh, wow. is Flight of Hand. So um, we named the winery after my favorite Pearl Jam song, and then if you look at our labels uh, visually, they look like vintage magic posters, and so we sort of fell backwards into the world of magic. But if you walk into either one of our tasting rooms, uh, you'll see a wall of vinyl and a bunch of Pearl Jam posters all over the place. So the tasting rooms themselves that you have sound, sound like a really fun environment. Where can people check those out, and what are they like? Uh, yeah, so we've got a taste room right here in Walla Walla, and the one in Seattle is in Soto, uh, about a mile south of the stadiums, which is perfect for the home shows. We expect to see a lot of Pearl Jam fans uh, kind of traipsing through um, our tasting room that week for sure. And uh, at the Seattle location, we actually have 
a sub pop shop. We have a partnership with Sub Pop Records as well. And so you can come in and buy Sub Pop vinyl. You can buy Sub Pop uh, T-shirts. You can buy Sub Pop hoodies, um, along with all the winery T-shirts as well. So That sounds awesome. I live right over there, so I'm going to have to come by and check it out. After you got Sleight of Hand started, you joined forces with another friend of yours to start Underground Wine Club. That's right. So um, Mark McNeely is the winemaker and owner of Mark Ryan Winery. And Mark and I have been friends for 20 years. And um, we have we've, we had this collaboration and we started back in 2007, but we really relaunched it in 2012 to where it was a, you know, a serious player where we were uh, making enough wine to actually get it into the marketplace and not just to our own mailing list. So in 2012, we launched with three different wines. We've got two red Two red wines and a rosé. The rosé is called Why My Mr. Pink, and uh, it's going to be a pretty big brand here moving forward. But it was a way for us, Mark and I, to, to start a project. We've always wanted to work together. We've always wanted to have a project to where we could make wines that are stylistically a little different than what Mark and I already make with our own projects. And it also gave us uh, a philanthropic arm with wines that we donate for certain causes. So we sponsor the wine every year for Smooch, which is uh, Seattle Musicians for Children's Hospital every December. Um, we do a lot of stuff with Sub Pop Records. We do a lot of stuff for the Vera Project. So, again, it, it, it gives us a, uh, an arm to be able to uh, help out these different organizations that we you know, believe in and want to get behind. And so the Underground has really been a great uh, great tool for that. And that's kind of what led us to the Pearl Jam, the Pearl Jam Project. Uh, Tim Bierman, who runs the Tin Club, is a good friend of mine and um, reached out to us earlier in the year when these shows were being put together and told us about what they were doing with putting these partners together. And that's really where the wine the wine thing came out of. And so we worked with the Pearl Jam design team to create the custom boxes and work with their labels and stuff that they had already created to make the box set that we made for them. And how long have you been making rosé? Oh, boy. I mean, uh, for sleight of hand, since we started the winery, 2007, Mr. Pink's first vintage was three vintages ago. So it was the 2015 vintage. Um, the 2017 vintage, which is in the marketplace today, um, you find a you know, Met, Met Market and Whole Foods and um, you know, Q, all the QFC steward stores and all the smaller wine shops and restaurants. And so you guys were ahead of the rosé curve, and you guys are well-positioned to take advantage of this huge growth that's in front of us. Yeah, for sure, especially with sleight of hand. I mean, honestly, I think there were two wineries, uh, one, one other winery besides myself, making rosé in 2007. And the rosé that we make is, it's a, you know, it's, it's a serious rosé. It's not a, you know, it's certainly not sweet. And the sleight of hand rosé that we make is 100% Cabernet Franc. The uh, Mr. Pink that we make for Underground is a Sangiovese dominant blend, but bone dry and a really, really fantastic uh, wine. And, and again, it's, it's uh, kind of blown up all over Seattle. We just got some data back, and it's the number one selling uh, Washington State rosé over $11 a bottle in Washington. So that was pretty exciting this year for us. Congratulations. Why don't you describe yeah, to the thanks. listeners uh, how your relationship uh, is set up for the Pearl Jam Vitology Fund, uh, Foundation and the home shows? How is that partnership working with your wines? You know, I mean, the, the, part, the partnership happened, again, uh, really because of a, a friendship that I have with Tim. And um, for me, uh, I'll talk about this on a personal basis. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a dream come true for me. I get to work with 
a band that I've been following for, you know, 26 years and has had a huge impact on my life personally. I kind of think about where where would I be today if they weren't around? Like, you know, they, they came through Athens, Georgia in 92, and I saw them and I dropped out of school about three weeks later and moved to Seattle. And I kind of kind of pinned that on them for, for better or worse. But certainly where I've ended up today, I kind of look back and like, wow, that was a pretty big decision. It I ended up out. in Walla Walla. I lived in Seattle for 10 years working for Nordstrom before I moved to Walla Walla back in 2000, 18 years ago. Um, but I still think back on, you know, why I'm, you know, why I'm in the position that I'm in. And, uh, it, you know, it all goes back to them. So you're, you're partnered with them now for the home shows. What is happening with your winery and them and the wine products you're making and how are they benefiting the foundation? Sure. So we decided, Mark and I decided that, you know, we, we uh, talked about how much wine we should make. We didn't know what was going to be too much or not enough. And so we decided to bottle for the, we, we made these custom box sets with four bottles of wine in them. There's 150 cases of wine. So we had 450 box sets that we that we made. And when we launched them on our website, Pearl Jam announced them in, in their newsletter back on the 10th. And we were sold out in 12 minutes. And wow. so we thought to ourselves, well, wow, that was, we, 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 we certainly could have made more wine. However, we decided, uh, and a lot, of the, a lot of the partners are donating a portion of the proceeds. We're actually donating 100% of the proceeds to Pearl Jam. So we're going to be writing a check for about 70000 bucks to the Vitology yeah. Foundation for their um for the their initiative for the homeless for the homeless issue obviously so we could we have sold a thousand box sets sure but then you know at that point we're, <laughs> we're probably gonna go out of business so yeah. um, <laughs> but i will tell you i will tell you it definitely got our wheels turning we thought about this from the standpoint of what can we do next year like you know this is a one-time project because of the home shows but the vitology foundation will always be there um you know pearl jam as a band decided to, uh, you know, hang it up next year. Let's say they said, okay, we're done. That's uh, The Vitology Foundation will always live on. I just, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, the, 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 the brand is so strong as far as Pearl Jam that, that it's something that they would continue to do with. And if that's the case, in my head, I'm thinking, well, what can we do down the road and do another wine? Maybe we're not going to donate 100% of the proceeds, but we can make a lot more wine and still write a big fat check to the Vitology Foundation every year, still get to associate ourselves with, you know, our favorite band, and just come up with some creative ways to, you know, not only market Underground Wine Project, but, but to keep a spotlight on what the Vitology Foundation does, which is obviously not just one thing. They do a lot of different things. Um, and so that's that's in the back of my head. But, um, but, you know, certainly nothing's been inked there, but it's it's definitely something that I think that we're going to move forward with for sure. And so those 450 box sets sold out in 12 minutes – and uh, you were telling That's us right. off the air that you're going to now have a special a single bottle available in your tasting room in Soto. You want to talk about that? That's right. Yeah. So we've got we, we we bottled some of the we bottled some extra Seattle shows, the home show uh, label, which has got a great um, graphic of the Space Needle that Pearl Jam's team designed. I'm going to have about 120 bottles to sell in my tasting room starting on August 7th uh, in Soto. And we're going to have another 120 bottles to sell at the Pearl Jam sponsored event at the Mopop on Thursday night. And I believe those I believe those tickets were already sold to the 10 Club and it's sold out. So I will have there will be an opportunity to buy a single bottle of each of those. Those will be 40 bucks a piece. 
Um, and again, 100% of the proceeds will go straight back to the Vitology Foundation for those bottles. The wines will also be featured at every Ethan Stowell restaurant in Seattle for the week. So customers can go to Ethan Stowell's restaurants and order a bottle or order a glass. Um, I'm sure that the Ethan Stowell team will let let, the, let let you take an empty bottle home if you end up drinking the bottle at the uh, restaurant. So We've done a similar thing with VSB, and we're having people who are flying in from all over the world for these concerts, and they're asking us if they can come to one of our tasting rooms to pick up the bottle sometime between the 7th and the 11th. And yeah. you are likely it, to see it's people pretty from amazing. all over the world It's pretty amazing how strong the Pearl Jam wants. brand is. And, um, you know, I, I've been a – not only have I been a fan forever, but I've been a collector forever. And so I know what it's like – to want to have that poster or that backpack or those shoes or whatever. And, and so I, in the back of my mind, I knew that this was going to be a success as far as our wine program and what you guys are doing and what Georgetown is doing. And, I, and I'm really glad it was a success for the, for the sake of the home shows and, and what they're doing. So just, I'm just, we're just thrilled to be a part of it. Well, that sounds awesome for someone who's such a big music fan. It's not only a great collaboration with one of your favorite musical groups, but also a great collaboration with a friend with the Underground Wine Project. Can you tell everyone where they can go to find more information on Sleight of Hand Cellars and the Underground Wine Project? Yeah, so Sleight of Hand, we have got a you can Google Sleight of Hand Sellers, you'll get our website, and really the same thing at the Underground Wine Project. Just go to undergroundwineproject.com. You can check out the three different wines that we make. The information for the Home Shows wine, the box set is still there, but they are sold out, unfortunately. Um, but we've got a mailing list they can sign up for, and hopefully if we can move that project forward to next year to keep it going, then they'll, they'll get an email and uh, keep them up to date on that. All right, Trey, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to join us. It's my pleasure. Looking forward to hopefully seeing you guys. Coming up next, we discuss the most popular drinks in every U.S. state. Some of these will surprise you. Do you think you know what it is for Washington? Stay tuned. We'll tell you next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. In just a few minutes, we've got a cocktail recipe for you if you're looking for something to make this weekend. In the meantime, though, we have to chat about uh, this BuzzFeed community poll. It's from earlier this year in March 2018. Vine Pair mapped what readers voted on as the most iconic beer, wine, or cocktail spirit in every single state. So across the United States, what is the most iconic drink, alcoholic drink, beverage uh, in that local state as voted on by the people? Uh, what do you think Washington State was first? We got to start local. You know, the most iconic local brand here would be Rainier Beer. And uh, in fact, that is what uh, popped up among readers. Um, ironically, no longer made here, but uh, still viewed as the iconic drink of Washington. That R will forever live, you know, just uh, and... There's even a, a baseball team, a minor league baseball team named after him. So, yes, ab- right. absolutely. Uh, now, I'm, I'm looking at the map, and we will put a link on the map on the Castle of Radio a link on social media. But looking at each state and uh, the drink of choice as voted on by BuzzFeed voters, some of these are really fascinating the one that sticks out to me the most is arkansas voters voted the iconic drink for arkansas is something called a whiskey sprite (laughs) what the heck is that (laughs) i'm guessing it's exactly what it sounds like it's like a seven seven yeah exactly similar (laughs) not like a whiskey coke but a whiskey sprite right yeah Um, west virginia 
and North Carolina both voted for moonshine. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mississippi was a Mississippi punch. I'm gonna funny. Go ahead. Oh, I I will be the first to raise my hand and actually admit that I don't even know some of the drinks on here, which makes me feel a little bit out of it. But uh, Maryland, for instance, I'm not familiar with the Orange Crush. The Alabama's is the Yellow Hammer. Anybody had any of the, either of those? I believe that it's a version of Alabama Slammer, oh, okay. which I had made when I was bartending. Yeah. But I had not heard it called a Yellow Hammer. A yellow Hammer. All right. Another one I noticed that I hadn't heard in a while, but I had made before when I was bartending, Oklahoma's The Lunchbox. Yes. And from what okay. I recall, that is a vodka shot dropped into beer and orange juice mix. Yes. It's uh, it's huge there. One of my best friends lives in Oklahoma City. And not only uh, is that a huge drink there, they have a bar there called Lunchbox. Oh, wow. Where you can order the Lunchbox at Lunchbox. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, huge in Oklahoma, which I hadn't heard of either. Minnesota, they have something called a beer teeny. <laughs> um, Weird. Vermont and Oregon, both uh, lacking any kind of creativity, just said craft beer is their drink of choice. It's better than Bud uh, Light for New Hampshire. That's not very creative either. Yeah, come on. Like, at I least ours shocked. is a local brand. Yeah. <laughs> Bud Light, I know. Uh, Maine, their favorite drink of choice is something called coffee brandy. Which I have to go look up and see if I can get a hold of that and try it. That, that sounds seems, fascinating. That seems like a good cold weather, yeah. like something you could make work. And they've got a lot of cold weather up there, up there in Maine. Oh, guys, yep. guys, guys! New Jersey is the Jaeger bomb. <laughs> Still, that's oh, yeah. perfect. I think they might win. That is just the most. <laughs> that uh, makes sense. Yeah, that works. Yeah. And also, Kansas, uh, Kansas is Fireball. It's just Fireball. Kansas is Fireball. Yep. Yep. Uh, Kentucky was Bourbon. Tennessee was Jack and Coke, no surprise there. Nebraska likes their red beer, so does South Dakota. And then, uh, surprising, kind of back of the pack, Iowa and North Dakota both voted for Bush Light. That's an interesting one. I like that, of course, Utah, only one on here that has a non-alcoholic beverage, yeah. root beer. <laughs> that seems appropriate. And, and right, Nevada. Ne- right next door in Nevada, yeah, just quote, anything fruity. Is anything that because, fruity. yeah, is that because of Las Vegas and you're just drinking a lot of different I don't know. I just didn't know what to. I was wondering about, about that, that too. And well, there's some states on here where I I couldn't help but think of Washington as well, where where just craft beer was considered the most iconic drink, whether that's you know Oregon or uh, Vermont craft beer. But did you guys feel that at all about Washington? Like maybe that I know Rainier in the past uh, is pretty iconic, but I would say nowadays it seems like they're we're pretty known for all different kinds of craft beer. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that. There are not more um, wines being listed. Connecticut has white wine, uh, which I think says a lot about the voters there, that they just generically picked white wine. But Washington <laughs> has such a great wine culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, maybe in a year or two on this BuzzFeed community, we may see BSB pop up on the Washington map. That would be pretty cool. Another surprise to me, I would have thought Wisconsin as a beer state, but it's old-fashioned. Yeah, old-fashioned. Fashion, and really? the best, the best name of all in Alaska the duck fart. <laughs> now remind me, uh, an Alaskan duck fart. So it has coffee liqueur, Irish cream, and Canadian whiskey. Has in, has anybody uh, been a fan of this drink before? I so it sounds too rich for my had taste. Had it in college, yeah, and a little too creamy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you, I lived in Alaska for a long time, and I would go to the bars on a regular occasion, and I don't remember a single person ordering a duck fart. So I wonder if this is a, a recent phenomenon uh, <laughs> culturally where they were just, you know, advertising it around the time that the mm. poll came out. Yeah, there's a little quick story behind it. The Alaskan duck fart was invented in Alaska, of course. It's said to have been invented at the Peanut 
Farm Bar and Grill in Alaska by Dave Schmidt. We want to give credit to Dave in 1987. So specific. Uh, a woman walked into a bar. That's not a joke. That's actually part of the story. Ordered a shot of tequila, then a B-52. Then they started experimenting, and thus the uh, duck fart was born. A riff off of the B-52, which brings uh, Grand Marnier, the Alaskan duck fart, sticks with Canadian whiskey, and uh, exactly what we mentioned before. Irish cream, coffee liqueur. Sounds pretty rich. <laughs> Yeah. And the Peanut Farm is still open. It's in Anchorage. Oh, nice. It is an iconic bar and restaurant. And uh, if you want to watch NFL football games or any other type of uh, sporting event, the place is packed with televisions on every game uh, showing. And, and no matter who you're rooting for, uh, you're going to be able to find your game on at any time. Nice. Oh, perfect. That's a good plug. Well, if, if a duck fart is not on the on the menu this week for you, we do have a cocktail recipe that you can make at home this week. Absolutely. Yeah. This is the uh, BSB Old Fashioned. It's being featured at the Seattle Art Fair next week, uh, August 2nd through 5th. It starts off with some muddled cherries and oranges, uh, one and a half ounces of our BSB brown sugar bourbon, two dashes of bitters, a splash of soda, and then a, a whole cherry to garnish on top. And you'll make it just like you make a regular old-fashioned. The difference is you're going to substitute BSB brown sugar bourbon in for your regular bourbon, whiskey, or rye. It's perfect. And as always, please share uh, your pictures of the finished product online. I know, Justin, you mentioned Pinterest has been a really popular vehicle for people to share all sorts of great concoctions. Oh, yeah. Pinterest is uh, tremendous for us. Uh, we've got about 46,000 active users uh, right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, all the social media platforms are there. You can find us on Cast Club Radio on Facebook. Uh, also email us at castclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And don't forget, we are just about uh, over a week away from the big Pearl Jam concerts. If you want to get one of the last remaining bottles of the Pearl Jam-themed BSB, go to heritagedistilling.com. 20 bucks of every bottle sold goes to the Vitology Foundation to help uh, homelessness in the region. Yeah, you can get a great drink and uh, for a great cause. It's perfect. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.